0: What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. Special edition of the podcast today. March Madness edition of the podcast. It is Friday, March 22nd. I'm your host Mitch Davis of the Mitch Davis Show. You can find me on Twitter Davis underscore eight. Like the Facebook page at The Mitch Davis Show, or also shoot us an email at The Mitch Davis Show at AOL.com. We're going to have four very special guests on today. We're going to have, first and foremost, we're going to have Mr. Adams Wells, weekend sports anchor for WPSD, and there in Paducah, Kentucky. He's going to be joining the podcast, be talking all things Murray State, and then we're going to be joined by Ryan McCormack, founder of NoHuddleSports.com, and also co host of the Outside the Huddle podcast there on SoundCloud and iTunes. And then we're also going to be joined by Shay Brennan-Hannon. We're going to be joined by her. She is site expert and editor-in-chief for Fly, War, Eagle, Fly. Also contributor for NoHuddleSports.com. And she's also host of Outside the Huddle podcast there on Apple Podcasts and everywhere where you can find podcasts. Those two are great people that some of my best friends in the business and some of my best friends, period. We're also gonna be joined by, lastly, Blake Lovell of Southeasthoops.com and the March to Madness podcast, the national podcast he does. He mostly covers the SEC, but this guy knows his college basketball. We're gonna be joined by him as he discusses all things. College basketball. I mean, he's going to be talking about the NCAA tournament. He's going to be talking about the SEC, talking about other things and this and that. But first and foremost, before we get into Mr. Adams Wells' interview and then we jump into the other ones, want to have some friends over to watch the game but don't have enough space. Wish you had an open pan so you can pair your game day chilly in the kitchen. Watch Overtime on the Living Room TV. If you answered yes, it's your time to call John Murray and Anna Halton at Century 21. They're licensed realtors with years of experience who can help you find the perfect home. You will be game day ready in no time. Call John Murray and Anna directly at 731-225-5655 or call their office at 731-668-7700. Century 21 is located at 620 Old Hickory Boulevard in Jackson, Tennessee. Next to old Hickory Steakhouse, each office is independently owned and operated. So huge shout out to John Mary Realty. They're great friends of the show. Love them to death. I greatly appreciate their support and I greatly appreciate them being the co i mean the sponsor of the Mitch Davis show. Greatly appreciate them. But we're going to jump right into these interviews. You can follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore. Adam Wells, he is a sports anchor there in Paducah, Kentucky. He is joining the podcast today to talk about the Murray State Racers, baby. They are off to a hot start in the NCAA Tournament. Mr. Wells, how you doing, man? Bitch, I am doing wonderful.
1: Just in warm, sunny Hartford, Connecticut right now. Getting ready for an around media day. And when I mean warm and sunny, I mean really cold and very, very wet, raining and a little snow right now.
0: There is a little snow. Oh, that's. I, I definitely don't pity you, man. Here in Memphis, it is currently 65 degrees and sunshine. I'd uh, rather not. You can you tell me that right now? <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. Now, let's talk a little bit about this really impressive Murray State win. They completely dominated Marquette last night. Absolutely. I think they were
1: a trendy pick when the brackets came out that people think, okay, you might pick them as the 12, the 12-5 as an upset, but I don't think anybody saw that coming, what happened. I mean, it's the biggest win by a 12-feet over a 5-feet in, in 20-something years. Uh, I mean, and then the show the job put on. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about him a whole lot uh, on the phone with you, but I mean, he was incredible last night, but I think Murray played better than they have all season long and they put a complete 40 minutes together and, and it showed right, how they won.
0: You know, let's talk a little bit about that win last night. They, I mean, like you said, they kind of just controlled the game from the tip. from the tip. I mean, they completely dominated Marquette, going all the way out to an 18-point lead before closing the game out to a 83-64 to 64 win over a very good Marquette Golden Eagle team. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, what not throughout the season is they could not win the big game because their biggest opponents they played they lost for the regular season you lost to Alabama you lost to Auburn although those were two very very close games then you played Belmont and Jacksonville State the other two top teams in the conference teams lose those regular season games and quite frankly they didn't play well in those games at all but then you get to the overseas tournament last week and everything kind of with the switch for the racers and they played the best basketball they played all season, all last three games. And, and he showed And when they walked out of the court yesterday afternoon, at XL Center, like they looked like they belonged there. They, there was no butterflies. I mean, I might've been butterflies, but you sure couldn't tell. I mean, they played like they had been in the NCAA tournament every single year for the last 20 years. And it's something that's second nature to them. That they looked like they belonged. Marquette looked like the team that, didn't
0: know what to do by being there. Now let's talk about it. Is that. Do you think that's a lot of coaching, or do you think that's just Jay, Ja Morant leading these guys up and saying, hey, look, we're going to go out here and we're going to. I mean, Morant didn't even have the most points for Murray State last night. I think it's a mixture of a little bit of several
1: things. I think definitely Matt McMahon is an incredible coach, and I honestly do not think that he is going to be at Murray State much longer because he is getting a lot of. Uh, uh, publicity and a lot of praise for what he's done, and, and he's he's been incredible last two years for the Racers, not just this year. Um, but I think Matt is is a really good coach as far as getting a team prepared for a game, especially the big games. He has been prepared every single time, and then Morant's Moran's the leader. I mean, anything that that Murray State does is going to go through Moran, and he is. He is cool as a cucumber. I mean, he is cool, calm, and collected, no matter what the situation is. But then, Murray State also has a couple of seniors on their team that were there last year in the NCAA tournament run with a guy like Shaq Buchanan and Leon Sanctus, and then obviously Morant was there last year. So they're, they're used to this situation because they were there last year. But there's so many different factors that go into this racer team that make them so good and
0: make them just. Feel comfortable and give them a shot tomorrow. You know, before we get into tomorrow's matchup, you kind of touched on this. Matt McCarron he has absolutely done a phenomenal job at Murray State, and you mentioned that you thought he probably would not be there much longer. What are some of the schools you're kind of hearing around Murray uh, where he could possibly end up after the season? I don't know quite if there's any schools that are mentioned right now for
1: McMahon, but uh, if you look at what he's done in four years at Murray State. He took over gonna go for a man, maybe a zone, and just make Murray State have to hit threes. When Murray State has hit threes before, and he hit threes yesterday, they're gonna to have to do it again uh, uh tomorrow afternoon and especially
2: Moran. I they mean, 'cause they're gonna make Moran beat them and he's shown that he can, but we'll have to see. You
0: know, this could be the last question I have for you then I want you to tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and find your uh, work there in the Murray uh, in the Murray area. What do you think of the game? Does Murray State win, and do they go to the Sweet 16, or is this the end of the road for the Racers? Oh, man, you're
1: putting me in a bad position right now because uh, <laughs> I, I don't ever like making predictions. Uh, like I said, yesterday, I, I thought that they had a really, really good shot of winning. based on the matchup because Marquette was just – if they played in the Murray State's hand. I didn't think that was going to happen. I have no clue what is going to happen in this game tomorrow because of the fact, like I mentioned, Murray State – you know, they, they struggle against teams uh, that are, are big guys. And, and one of the teams we struggled with this year is Jacksonville State. Record season, Jacksonville beat them by 20 on the road. But then they played them in the OBC tournament, the OBC semifinals, and they were able to beat them. They figured out a new game plan the second time around. that McDonald's out, and the races kicked out. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I, it's, it's really hard to say. But the one thing that I will say tomorrow is that the crowd at the XL Center is going to be packed tomorrow. And if you're not a Florida State fan, you're most likely going to be cheering for Murray State because they're the Cinderella, they're the media darlings, everyone really wants to see John Morant. I mean, yesterday was incredible. Every time that Morant had the ball in his hand, you could see the crowd just kind of scoop to the edge of their seats and the, the oohs and ahs every time he would do something with the ball. That is going to happen again tomorrow. It is going to feel like a home crowd for Murray State. And I think that definitely plays into Murray State's hands, and we'll see how Florida you have a crowd of NCAA trying to defend it. That is screaming for one team, and it's not you, it's going to be really hard to play in that environment. And I think that plays the first big hands, and I think that's part of the reason they have a chance tomorrow.
0: You know, I, I love that prediction. He is Adams. He is Adam Wells. Mr. Adam, tell them where they can find you on Twitter and find your work. And here's the thing. If Murray State keeps winning, you're going to keep coming on the podcast and talking about the racers because we love the <laughs> racers here in Memphis. love the Cinderella team. And we've also got a little similar connection as well. Uh, one of your family members and is really good friends of my family. So as long as the racers keep winning, we're going to keep having you on the podcast. But that is absolutely fine and then I'll have to drive 18 hours back to Paducah
1: where I live and then hop on a flight to Anaheim if they somehow make it to the Sweet 16 but uh, yeah you can uh, see uh, what we're doing this week with the racers uh, Twitter handle is at the Adam B. Wells uh, again at the Adam B. Wells and we'll have all kinds of stuff and interviews today like with you're about now there's so the will so take to the podium as they prepare for state State. we'll have all kinds of coverage from them
0: and uh, hopefully, like you said, if they win, or more, we'll be following to California. Man, thank you so much. Hopefully to have you guys on uh, later this week or something like that if the races win tomorrow.
1: Thanks, Mitch. I appreciate you having me
0: on. Right now, by Ryan McCormack and Shea Brenneman, which, by the way, funny story before I get into these two, I had to figure out how to pronounce Shay Brenneman's last name. So I went back. Listen to the podcast that we recorded together, I don't know, like two or three weeks ago. I had to figure it out, so I do apologize to her. But these two people are some of the best people in the business. Shay, especially, she's awesome with Auburn, the way she covers Auburn. Ryan, love you to death, brother. And these guys know their sports. Ryan's a big Cubs fan, unfortunately, but we're going to welcome on the show. Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show, guys. Hey, thanks for
3: having us.
0: Thanks for having us, Mitch. Man, let's talk a little bit about, by the way, i got to mention your Cubs, Ryan. Your Cubs are picked, what, third, fourth in the NL? Um, What what do you expect? i got to put you on the spot first and foremost. What do you expect out of the Cubs this year?
2: They're going to win the Central. Really? They have a 95-win team coming back. They are adding a healthy MVP candidate in Chris Bryant. They are adding a healthy MVP candidate in Anthony Rizzo. They are adding a healthy Cy Young candidate in Yu Darvish and besides that, they have the same exact team as last year. They're young, they're athletic, they won 95 games last year, they won 91 games the year before, they won 103 games the year before that. I don't know why people are picking them to win 80-something games. They have the same exact team with a healthy MVP and a healthy Cy Young. Hugh Darvish played like three games last year, and Chris Bryan was out about half the season. Um, So if if both of those guys can stay healthy and everybody else can stay healthy, they're going to win 90-plus games again and probably run away with the division.
0: So I would have to ask you, though, before we get into a little basketball talk, What would you say to a basically a Cardinals fan like myself or like in Memphis when the Cardinals have loaded their team up this year? What would you say to a Cardinals fan that says, hey, the Cubs are going to be better this year? They are. The (laughs) Cubs are going to be better? The Cubs are. I mean, the Cubs are going to be second in what everybody is saying. But, you know, hey, what is what would you tell a Cardinals fan if they're if they're trying to argue with you? Because you seem pretty passionate about the Cubs right now.
2: The Cardinals have some good pieces, and they'll definitely be better than last year. Adding Goldschmidt and then just signing him to the contract is going to help. Um, besides that, it's going to be interesting to see how their pitching turns out. I think the Cubs definitely have a lot more, I, I don't want to say, you know, a better pitching staff, and more more known. The Cardinals have a lot of questions um, with Martinez. Who knows how he's going to be anymore. They've got some young guys who are good with Mikulos. I know he's up and coming. He could have a good year, but he's... You know, still kind of questioned there. You know, he had a good half of the year last year. Um, You know, they've got some good power on the offense with Carpenter, obviously with Goldschmidt coming in. Um, Bader's a good young player. They've got some pieces to be there. I I think the Cardinals are still about a year or two away um, from competing with the Cubs or the Brewers. Um, You kind of saw last year as they faded away towards the the middle and end of the season. Um, You know, it'll be interesting to see if the Cardinals make some moves this year. Um, they've definitely got some pieces to compete. Unfortunately for them, they're in a really tough division with the the Cubs and the Brewers. The Reds getting better. Um, who knows about the Pirates? How they'll be? So, um, you know, I, I think the Cardinals will be better than last year. I'm not sure the record will show that just because of the, how tough the division is going to be. Uh, but the, they're definitely heading in in the right direction of, of where they're looking to be at. You know, I could completely- watch out for the kid. Oh, I forgot about the kid. I forgot. Are you a Braves fan? Aren't you, Shay? Yep. Yeah. I forgot about that. Braves are actually going to be pretty good this year. I forgot about that. I'm should...
3: looking forward to watching Julio Tehran.
2: I, am... I, Bra- I think the Braves are going to win the East again. Everybody's giving Philly the hype.
3: I, I, know, don't but, I agree. So Bryce
2: Harper didn't do anything in Washington.
0: What, what makes him expect he's going to do anything in Philly?
2: The Braves right. are going to have a better pitching staff. Outside of Aaron Nola and then Jake Arrieta every once in a while, Philly doesn't have much in their the rotation right now.
3: I really but... like Julio Tehran. And I also like our batting order. Um, and with Josh Robinson coming in at third base, I think that's going to be a really big help too, because it's just going to, we have more men in the rotation. I'm excited.
2: You know, did you look, guys get Brian McCann back? I think
3: they, yes, we they did. Did
2: Okay. See no. that. That's what they were missing last year. The, the Braves didn't have enough veterans in their lineup. Um, yeah. You know, they have Mark Hakus, who's been there, but he has, he's not really a guy who's been in the playoffs a I think Donaldson, who's been in the playoffs. McCann, who's won a World Series with Houston. Um, they needed more of those guys to help them get over that playoff hump. But, you know, obviously they had a good year last year, but I, th- I think for Atlanta to make the, the next push, um, they need some of that, you know, veteran experience, and I, I think they've definitely added some good pieces for that. Man, I yeah, can- yeah,
3: I definitely agree.
0: Hey, Shay, okay, so here's the first question on this podcast interview and everything. Everybody knows you are a diehard Auburn fan. Talk about your thought process behind probably the stupidest basketball we've seen oh, all season God. long. And I know that you said you got sick. You were, you, I mean, you were, you were texting us and you were blowing us up, going, "We're going to lose this game. We're going to lose this game. We're going to blow this game." Talk about the emotions that you went through, you know, 24 hours ago with Auburn and New Mexico State.
3: Oh God. Um, I really started feeling sick about seven minutes left in the second half yesterday. Um, you know, Horace Spencer, he fouled out. And then Jared Harper, it just, it almost felt like from seven minutes to two minutes, it was a monumental collapse of logic and reasoning. And, you know, there's so many things that you can blame here in defense of Auburn. Okay, this is what they're sixth game they have to play within a week Um, they had to travel halfway across the country well more than halfway across the country Um, they're having to play in a different altitude they're exhausted so it really wasn't super unexpected that they did that Um, I just didn't expect it to be as major as it was Um, I definitely didn't expect Bryce Brown to foul somebody on a three and uh, you know, I thought to myself in that moment, oh my god, Bryce Brown's career is about to end because he fouled on a three. And I didn't expect Jared Harper to foul out. Um, I mean, he's one of Auburn's smartest ball players. And Horace Spencer, you know, he's a fast physical guy on defense. Like him fouling out wasn't unexpected, but having to rely on the other team to miss free throws just made me absolutely sick. And I mean, when they inbounded the ball with one point one seconds left, I thought for sure, oh my God, they're gonna inbound under the basket, draw fouls, shoot the free throws and get and win the game. Um, it was it really was just pure luck that they inbounded it to a guy in the far left lane and he chucked he just chucked up a prayer ball that missed by five feet from the basket. So Um, I'm definitely nervous about the Kansas game going forward. Um, but like I said, a win's a win and it's all about surviving and advancing no matter how ugly it is. And I honestly think that a lot of people, you know, a lot of people are going to forget it, not Auburn fans, but a lot of other people, because there were some, um, blowouts yesterday. There were some close games yesterday. Ole Miss is getting blown out right now. Alabama lost their first NIT game to Norfolk State at their home court. So in the grand scheme of things, like, okay, we almost lost to a really good New Mexico State team that hasn't lost since January, and I will take that as a win any day of the week.
0: You know, Shay, looking ahead, and I'm going to get to you, Ryan, next, looking ahead to Kansas, how does the Auburn Tigers match up with Kansas with Diedrich Lawson and the talented team that Kansas got this year?
3: I honestly think this Auburn team can match up pretty well. Um, what killed us with New Mexico State is that they're one of the best rebounding teams in the country. And Kansas is not – I mean, they're an okay rebounding team, but they don't rank nearly as high as New Mexico State does. And I think that if Auburn can set the pace in shooting and play the fast physical defense that they play, like they have, I think Auburn has the quickest chance in college basketball. They, are, they do a really good job at forcing turnovers and forcing uh, teams out of their comfort zone and shooting. And I think that if Auburn can do that, that they can take care of this Kansas team.
0: You know, can I get a score prediction from you for the game?
3: Ooh, uh, I think, I mean, it would be a close one. I would probably say, like, Auburn 74, Kansas 71.
0: Ryan, how do you feel about that one?
2: You know, going into it, I, I picked Auburn in my bracket. But watching Kansas yesterday, you know, we, we everybody keeps talking about this fatigue factor with Auburn, um, which I, I don't know if it's going to be that big of a deal. Because um, when you're in the zone, you're in the tournament. That kind of all goes aside. Nobody's hurt for Auburn, which is good. They don't, you know, any battling injuries there. But Kansas looked really good yesterday. One of the best times I've seen them play all year. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I think, like Shay said, it's going to be a fast-paced game. Uh, this is definitely going to be a game that's won by the guards. Um, you know, whether it be for Kansas or for Auburn, whoever wins this is going to have better guard play for the day. Um, I, I think Auburn will hold on to win another close one. I, I think this one may be a little bit higher scoring than that. I think eighty is going to win it here. Um, okay. You know, somewhere eighty, eighty-one, seventy-seven, or something like that. I think I think this one's going to be a fast-paced, high-scoring game. Um, assuming both teams can shoot well, um, which both of them have been shooting well of late, um, I, I think it'll be a high-scoring, fast-paced game.
0: Actually, I, I really like that prediction from Ryan. Now, Shay, if they do advance a goal in the Kansas City, are you planning on going to support your Tigers? I mean, you were in Nashville last week.
3: Oh, gosh. That would be a Monday, right?
0: No, that'd be a Friday-Sunday type deal.
3: Oh. Um, good Lord almighty. I would have to look at my bank account. I'd have to consult the numbers first.
0: I feel you. I mean, we could easily have a no huddle sports type reunion up there if it is Auburn in Kentucky. We, you know, get Ryan over there and root for uh, one or the other, like he did in Lexington.
2: Where's Kentucky playing? Are they also in Kansas City?
0: Yeah, they're playing in the Midwest bracket, but we got to get Kentucky's got to get by Walford first. Yeah, which is yikes. I mean, which by the way, that, that leads me to that. Ryan, I'm going to ask you this, and I'll ask Shay. How do you see that kentucky Wafford game playing out?
2: I think this is going to be one of the funnest games of the weekend, just based on the style of play. I'm, I'm very excited to see Tyler Hero go up against um, you know, the, the various guards for Wofford. Um, they've got a, a couple guys. I think they said last night they're the second best three-point shooting team in the country. If I heard them right, Wofford is, Um, and obviously Kentucky's going to be banged up without P.J. Washington. So they're going to be, you know, they're going to be relying on Tyler Hero even more. Him against uh, Fletcher McGee is going to be a fun matchup to watch. I'm not sure if they're going to go head-to-head or how that matchup's going to go, but they will be going back and forth a couple times. Um, You know, Wofford actually surprised me last night with how good of an inside game they had. I watched them once or twice this year. Um, and it's kind of hard to tell when you see them go up against, you know, you know, your Dayton's or your smaller teams, uh, you know, whoever they're playing, but watching them against Seton Hall, who's a big East team with a good inside game, I think they are uh, going to, you know, match up well against Kentucky. Um, You know, Reed Travis is back and he looks like he's playing well, but uh, Wofford has a couple guys inside as well who can, who can body up and, um, you know, play good inside. So I, I think it's going to be a, another high scoring, fast paced game. I think Wofford, I picked them to win. I don't want Kentucky to win. Um, I think Wofford's going to hold on and and win this. If they can shoot how they did yesterday, especially scoring 20 points in about a two-minute span, um, that's going to help them a lot. I think think Wofford's going to pull this one off against the Cats.
0: You're killing me, Ryan. Shea, what's your predictions?
3: Oh, Lord. Well, I picked – I'm not even going to go with my bracket right right now.
0: Um, Shea's Kentucky's
3: championship. Yeah, I I did. Well, knowing that Kentucky does not have PJ Washington and knowing that Walford is as hot as they are i mean i just i don't know what to expect right now it's going to all come down to how Kentucky moves around and rearranges their pieces that they do have in play to compete with this Walford team um obviously i think Walford like if Kentucky gets into a shooting match with Walford they're going to end up losing it's going to matter if they have the defense to poster up against this Wofford team, which, I mean, Seton Hall, I thought they would be um, a favorable opponent, and wow, was I wrong. So, it's just, it's going to be really interesting to see. I don't know what to expect deep with this Kentucky team in this tournament with what they have right now.
0: You know, I completely agree with you, and I think the one of the things with Kentucky is they... They just don't seem like, because, you know, with, with the team, and both of you guys know this, with a team that shoots a three-point ball well, you got to have a big guy that's going to be able to go out and defend those threes and also drop down low inside the post and you know right. and defend the post. And so, right now, Kentucky doesn't have that without P.J. Washington. So, like you alluded to, both of you guys alluded to, I wouldn't be surprised to see Wofford upset the Cats and Cats go right.
3: home this year. I wouldn't be surprised either, and you know another thing Kentucky cannot do is they can't trade twos for threes with Wofford. That's like what I said. Offense, offense is going to need to step up. They're going to have to be trading threes for threes, and they're going to have to find a way to stop Wofford. And Mike, I, I don't, I don't know that they can. I don't think that they can.
0: I, I, I don't think so either. Ryan, you got any last thoughts on that?
2: I, I agree with that. It's going to come down to how well Kentucky can defend the, the three. Wofford's okay. going to get shots up. They don't need open open looks to, you know, hit threes. But if, if Kentucky continue, continue to contest them, um, continue to make them take difficult threes, you know, Wofford will hit some. Um, but if you can get them, you know, shooting 30, 35 percent from three, that's going to be a, a big difference because last night they shot a lot better than that. They had a ton of open looks. Seton Hall was jumping at every shot. Um, that's not what you're gonna. That's not the way to play a team like this. You you can't be jumping at threes because they'll fake you out. They're quick. They've got two or three guards who are gonna be quicker than any player you have on the floor. Um, so it's it's gonna be playing discipline, which Kentucky can do, and playing smart defense, and then not letting Wofford get comfortable in their game plan. You know, let's
0: talk a little bit about this Liberty and Mississippi State team. This is a game that I don't think all three of us really know what to expect with the Bulldogs no. in Mississippi mm-hmm. State. So I picked the upset. I love Liberty in this game. Uh, after watching them in the A-Sun championship game there against Lipscomb, I fell in love with this Liberty team. Plus, I kind of think it's ironic you got Hugh Freeze's new football team going up Facing against a team, yeah, team who basically routed them out. So what are your thoughts on this game, guys?
3: I said the same thing on our podcast Sunday night. I said out of every game and um, in the first round to look at that this one was going to be the game that I was one of the most excited to look forward to because I, like you said, I don't know what to expect from either team. Mississippi State is so inconsistent. They were so inconsistent down the stretch in conference play and Liberty was really heating up. So it's going to be interesting to see how these two teams face off against each other.
2: Ryan, you got anything on that one? Yeah, I, I agree. This game, um, the Ole Miss-Oklahoma game, those were the two, really. And then the, also Washington-Utah State. Those three games, when I first looked at the bracket, I, I said to myself, I have no idea what's going to happen here. Every other game, I you know had a good idea of you know what to expect. But with these three games, mm-hmm. um, and the Oklahoma game, which we're – uh, you know in the middle of right now Oklahoma's up by about fifteen at the moment, um which is kind of unexpected. But with Mississippi State, um I really don't know what to expect, right? You know, with this team. I think it's either going to be Mississippi State winning by about 15 or 20 or or Liberty's going to win this. I think Mississippi State's either going to run them out of the gym or they're gonna, you know, lose this game. You know, probably in a close one, but in a game where you feel that they're not gonna win um, I, I, think they could have a similar thing that may happen with, uh, that happened with Nevada last night. If they're not careful, um, you know, with, with Florida last night against Nevada, they got off to a good start and you kind of felt the, you know, Nevada was going to come back the whole game and make a run at it. Um, before it just kept pushing them away. I, I think Liberty is a team like that, that if, if you don't take them down early, they're going to be a tough team to come back on because they've got a lot of. Good players. They're a very balanced team. Um, they've got a lot of depth, too. So they're not a team that you can fall behind and just come back easily. And Mississippi State's not that kind of team that's going to, you know, not like an Auburn or a Wofford where they're going to be able to score 20 points in about two minutes. Um, so I, I'm really intrigued to see what happens. I also picked Liberty just because I wanted an upset here. Uh, but honestly, I could see this one going either way. You know, I've got, I've got
0: two more games for you guys to pick, and then I'm going to ask your Final Four, and then we'll get off here and show you guys will be back on after more SEC teams keep winning. We'll talk more. We'll have more fun. So, here's the thing. Let's look at this LSU and Maryland game. LSU looked awful yesterday, and Maryland was lucky to win. Who do you have in this game? I know it's kind of like one of these toss-up games in the second round tomorrow.
3: Oof. Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. I think I would have to go with Maryland. I don't think that LSU has the traction to keep winning at this pace, especially when, you know, they – They opened up on Yale early. They had a good, sustainable lead going into the second half, and they just blew it. I mean, they were doing everything they could to give the game to Yale in that second half yesterday. And they're playing at a level right now that's not sustainable. I think Maryland's playing at a level that's a little bit more sustainable, and I think that's what's going to get them the win in this matchup.
2: Ryan,
0: what's your thoughts?
2: This one's another one that's going to be interesting. Honestly, I'm not too excited about this matchup. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's going to be that fun of a game. They um, made some good points there with with LSU. They're obviously one of the, I would say, one of the ten to fifteen most talented teams in the country. Um, you know, just based on personnel there. I thought it was interesting yesterday because they were they were rolling in the first half. I don't know how right. big their elite got, but they were looking comfortable. Um, You know, we talked about on our podcast this week how we thought LSU may be on upset alert. Uh, But after watching the first half, I thought, you know, they're they're good to go. And then, you know, you see the second half, they start to slip away. Um, Yale brings it back within a possession towards the end before LSU closes it out. Um, Maryland kind of squeaked by Belmont as well. Um, So really, I I feel like neither of these teams are playing at their best right now. Um, LSU, I think, is going to be a little bit more athletic, a little bit more talented. Maryland has a really good inside game, which I think could cause some problems. I, I think it's going to come down to how well LSU can play on the perimeter, um, both offensively and defensively. If they can make Maryland one-dimensional, um, they're going to have a lot better chance of winning this. And if they can you know, hit some deep shots on offense themselves, I think LSU will win. I ultimately think the Tigers will win this game. Um, you know, they do have a very favorable draw here. Um, we talked about a lot of the other teams kind of, you know, in the SEC getting some harder draws, whether it be Tennessee or Kentucky, I think LSU has one of the more favorable ones in the conference. So I think LSU will win this game. Um, I like it being kind of a lower scoring game. Um, both teams kind of playing sloppy right now. So, you know, LSU maybe 68, 64, or something like that. Um, but this one, this is another one where I, I can go either way. It's just going to come down to which team shows up better and which team plays to their potential.
0: Let's quickly talk about this Florida-Michigan game. Does the Gators have a chance against the Michigan Wolverines?
2: The way that the Gators play, and um, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, they they can play with anybody in the country. Put them up against Duke, put them up against North Carolina, um you know put them up against virginia whoever will be they will make it a close game just their style of play um they're the number one team in the sec on defensive points a per game they keep games short um they take long possessions on offense they work the ball around they're not going to have any games in the 80s or 90s um they're going to have games in the 50s and 60s so by doing that um i think they will be able to in this game. Michigan also a very similar team, you know very strong defensively. Um, Michigan, I would say, is better on offense than Florida. Um, whereas Florida does have the potential to be at that level. They do have playmakers with Jalen Hudson. Um, You know, Kavarius Hayes has been playing very well lately. Um, You know, some of these other guys, Kayvon Allen, they have playmaker abilities. The problem is they just don't have consistency with these guys. Um, If they play the way they played last night against Nevada, I think they have a very good chance of beating Michigan. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they will be able to keep this game close for a majority of it and have a chance at the end. Um, It's just going to come down. I I think – they will need a big game out of both Jalen Hudson and Kayvon Allen. It seems as if lately you've gotten one of them. You know, last night was more of a, a Jalen Hudson type game. Um, Kayvon Allen's had some big ones lately. They need both of these guys to play well together, which hasn't happened much lately. Uh, but if that can happen, I think they have a chance to get Michigan against Michigan. I just don't see it happening. Uh, Michigan's my final four pick for that region, so um, I-, I think Michigan will ultimately win this one. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I don't think it's going to be very fun to watch, to be honest. Um, you know, somewhere in the in the low sixty to to maybe mid fifties, maybe sixty-two, fifty-five. Uh, Michigan coming on top.
0: Ryan, I completely agree
2: with you. Shay, you got anything
0: for that Florida-Michigan game?
3: Um, I really like Florida's Keontae Johnson. I think mm-hmm. that he's going to be like he's going to be the biggest key to Florida's success if they want to win this game. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Mike White schemes up because I watched that Florida-Nevada game last night and Florida kind of went the same route as LSU. Florida didn't have a sustainable lead going into the half, but they did everything they could to lose the game in the second Mm -hmm. half. And you can't. You cannot keep playing on that level in the tournament. That's an unsustainable level of play. And if you play at that level, you are going to lose. But I do like Keontae Johnson. I think he's really fun to watch. I think that him and some of the other pieces that Ryan mentioned that Florida has will make the game, you know, fun to watch maybe for the first half and parts of the second half. But, yeah, I also pick Michigan to ultimately win this game.
2: Now, this is the problem that. The problem Floridas had, and the the reason they let Nevada back into the game yesterday, um and the pro and the reason they've let a lot of things back in the games this year is because they do not know how to play with the lead. Um, you mm-hmm. saw they I think they got up to an eighteen point lead early in the second half. And at that oh, point, right. you see them taking twenty seconds off the shot clock and then chucking up a three. You know, they were trying to run the clock down with 15 minutes left in the game, which you can't do. They need to keep attacking. You mentioned Johnson has been playing very well lately. He really hadn't done much up until about a month ago. The SEC tournament was kind of his coming out party. You saw him against Auburn. Obviously, he you mm-hmm. know he dominated that game. Um, right. He played very well against LSU. Big key. They won. A uh, big key to that win. Um Florida's going to have to take a lead, and they're going to have to keep pushing. And that's something they don't do very well. And you mentioned interesting to see what Mike White's going to draw. But I am too, because honestly, whenever you see Florida in a close game situation, they look lost out there. Um, mm-hmm. You saw him in. The, I don't know if you saw his post game conference last night. The reporter asked him. He said he had him, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I've I've seen so many memes on Twitter about that, of Florida oh. fans making fun of him because there's a lot of times this year it seems like he's had no idea what's going on.
3: He's a um, young coach, but, you know, I think you'll have a really good one in him.
2: Yeah, he's. I'll, I'll tell you what, Florida fans are very one way or the other on him. A lot of them love him. A lot of them hate him. I think he is a good recruiter. I think players like playing for him. I think he's still a little rusty in the X's and O's. Um, You see it in some of the ga- late game situations, especially this year, Um, you know, with last year, they were able to get away with it because they had a guy with Chris Chiosa who could take over every game and basically do it by himself. Um, this year, they don't really have that guy. They don't have a guy who he can rely on late in games. Um, you know, when you need a last second shot or when you need to make a big defensive stop, you don't have that guy this year. And, and he's been, you know, the, the whole team's been struggling in those situations.
0: You know, this is the final question for you guys, and then I want you guys to tell them where they find you on Twitter, find your awesome podcasts, and, of course, all your work as well on No Huddle Sports. And what's the website you write for, Shay? Uh,
3: Fly War Eagle.
0: You do a lot of great work for Auburn. So everybody needs to go check that out. Who is your national champion right now? No, I'm going to put you on the spot. No, we haven't seen anybody play. But when it comes April 8th, who is your national champion?
3: Zion!
0: Going to go Duke. I like it. Nope. North Carolina, really?
2: Yep.
0: I like. I think North Carolina is playing the best basketball right now.
2: I, I really. North Carolina's think. they're they're playing well. You know, they lost to Duke. Um, it was a competitive game. I know they beat Duke without Zion once. I'm excited to see them. I ha- I have North Carolina Duke in the championship. I think that would be so fun um, to watch that rivalry in the national championship. I think North Carolina is a little bit more experienced. They have a lot of guys who are on the national championship team from a couple years ago. You know, Luke May inside; he's a big key to their game. Um, you know, a couple other guys who have that national championship experience, who made runs. A couple of the guys who made two championship runs, including the one they lost to Villanova the first time. Um, so I think that's going to be the difference coming down to the wire. I think both of these teams, and I'm sorry to say this to you, I think both of these teams have a fairly easy path to the championship. Um, probably the two easiest of, of all the one seeds there, especially with Duke, so I think both of these teams are going to make the the championship, and i I like North Carolina there uh, in a in a fun one. I love it guys, tell them where they can actually follow- did you it. know oh. did
3: mm-hmm. you know that North Carolina probability wise has the smallest chance of any one seed to make it
0: really? interesting yes what's the probability I, well, on that?
3: I believe. We talked to, I went on the radio on Wednesday and I talked to a guy. He's like a bracketology expert. And he said that North Carolina has the hardest path because they have Kansas, Kentucky, Walford, um, and Auburn all in that same bracket. And that, you know, Duke has the easiest path of anybody. Mm-hmm. North Carolina has the hardest one. Um, Tennessee or Virginia has an easier pathway than North Carolina. And so does Gonzaga.
2: I I can't remember what
3: the percentage is, though.
2: With P.J. Washington going out, I bet you those percentages went up a little bit because I thought Kentucky was the biggest threat to North Carolina, but with P.J. Washington out, I I think it makes their path a lot easier. Um, So I'm not sure if those percentages came out before or after that news was announced, but I I think looking at how things played out the first day, I think North Carolina probably, in my opinion, has the easiest path from here on out, besides Duke. I completely agree with y'all. Now tell them where
0: they can find you on Twitter, find your work, find the podcast, and then we're going to have you guys back on in a couple days after all this stuff is all said and done and we got a lead eight and maybe even a Final Four set
3: up. So you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Shea booski S-H-E-A, like the butter, and then Booski, B-O-O-S-K-Y-Y, two Ys. And I write for Fly War Eagle, and I also contribute to no Huddle Sports. And me and Ryan host a great podcast. Ryan, take it away with our podcast.
2: Yes, our podcast, Outside the Huddle. It is basically an SEC podcast. We talk about other things every now and again, but that's the basis around it. Um, we're on Twitter there at Outside the Hud, H H-U-D. U um, D. Huddle wasn't long enough for Twitter. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, RyanMCC09, and then follow us um, at underscore no huddle sports as well um, to check out all, all of our stuff.
0: Man, thank y'all so much. Thank you, Shay. Thank you, Ryan. Look forward to having you guys on in the the coming future.
3: Thanks for having us.
2: It was awesome. All righty, hold on.
4: Type, how you doing, man? Hey, man. Um, Good to be back on. Yeah, it's it's a busy time, as you know, and not just with the NCAA tournament, but also with uh, the coaching madness that has, has taken over the March madness, so.
0: Man, let's, uh, let, since you opened it up with that coaching search, we did talk about this off the record a little bit. What's going on, man? I know your Vanderbilt Commodore just got rid of Bryce Drew, which was a complete shocker to both you and I because you came on the podcast before the SEC tournament said that you thought Bryce Drew was good. So, I mean, what yep. the heck is actually going on? Like, this is this is insane.
4: Yeah, I think a lot sort of changed and, and it had a lot to do with how they played down the stretch, um, which is similar to the other SEC job we'll talk about. Uh, I, I think it just – yeah, it had a lot to do with the fact that they simply just I mean, they – let's face it, they got worse at the end of the year. And for a team that didn't win a game all season long, I said it in a podcast I did earlier, all bets are off when you don't win a game in conference play, I, especially at a power conference. And I think in that situation – you could throw everything else sort of out the window, no matter what kind of had gotten to that point. Uh, when you lose every game, it puts you in a bad spot and it's really hard to sell a fan base uh, next season when you essentially are going to have the same team coming back and you're losing your best NBA draft prospect. So I, I think it was just a hard, it was a hard call. I mean, there's no doubt it was a tough decision for, for Malcolm Turner at Vanderbilt, but Look, it's I know there's a lot of people kind of split on this decision, but the fact is, like I said, when you lose every game in conference play, this is something that is always going to be on the table. You getting fired, and that's just uh, what that's the route that Vanderbilt decided to take. So,
0: you know, let's talk a little about about this Vanderbilt stuff because I know you're a lot closer to the program than I am. I've heard a lot of things about how the athletic director that was his first time meeting Bryce True. Are any of those rumors actually true? <laughs> Or is this all just in the in, in the grand scheme of, holy crap, this coaching search is going AWOL, basically?
4: I'd always be careful, and this goes for any coaching search or any time someone gets fired. I would always be careful of the immediate stuff that comes out because um, sometimes you can have a tendency to uh, be leaned one way or the other in terms of a specific scenario. And I think because Bryce true is legitimately one of the most likable people in college basketball, period. Um, it's easy for people to, to sort of look at maybe the Vanderbilt side of it and feel like he was completely wronged. Um, and like I said, let's be honest too, three years is not a long time. And In most scenarios, it takes longer than three years to do what you want to do at a program, And I, and, and every coach would tell you that. Um, but like I said, the only different sort of factor there is that you didn't win a game in conference play. And and after that, it becomes a bigger issue. And that adds such a monumental layer to this entire thing that I think it just, it does. It adds a layer that kind of throws some of that other stuff to the side and makes it a much tougher situation. And from a coaching standpoint, Um, and I think that's where all this stuff you're gonna read, all the rumors that are out there, this is just stuff to me that happens when you have this thing. There's gonna be different stories on each side probably. Um, but what it comes down to is it was just sort of a situation where Vanderbilt felt like the program wasn't gonna improve enough going into next season because quite frankly, they may have been in this exact same spot next year minus going winless, they probably would have won some games. But I don't know that there would have been a big enough jump from a an on court perspective uh, for them to not make a move next year.
0: You know, let's talk a little bit about the Vanderbilt coaching search before we get into Alabama. And I've also got a question about Arkansas as well, before we actually get into talking about the hardwood and what's happening on the hardwood right now. You know, who are the front runners you're hearing that could be, you know, that could replace Bryce Drew at Vanderbilt?
4: Well, I think it's still probably early. Like I told you, that it, we know how this works every time, especially in an SEC job nowadays. Um, you're going to throw the biggest names out there possible, and you're going to say those are the ones that you have to at least contact and see if there's any interest there. And the one that will pop up Vanderbilt-wise is the one that popped up with Georgia and Ole Miss last year, and that's that Mata. And it, what it comes down to is, like we we've said before, it's a matter of where does he want to go? Does he want to you know be at that type of position right now? Because he said no to Georgia last year and said you know he felt like he wasn't ready uh, to give that job what it deserved. Is 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 he still of that opinion? Is there other factors at play here? We don't know. Uh, but to me, he's the most logical first place to turn elsewhere, you know, I I said this, if you're going to make this move with Bryce true to me, you've got to go power conference route first and try to use the money uh, that Vanderbilt has. uh, and, And to see if you can lure away a guy that's already proven to be a success at the power conference level. Because I think if they go back to the mid major route in terms of a rising mid major coach, which was exactly what Bryce true was, you're going to have some fans that are going to be very hesitant and it may not be as easy to sell. But with Malcolm Turner, he's someone that, that has NBA connections. You know, he was in the G League. I'm not saying they're going to get an NBA type of coach, but he wouldn't surprise me if they go after guys that maybe have some some experience at the NBA level. You know, a guy I've always liked and I'm not saying he is a candidate at Vanderbilt right now, but he is someone whose name has been mentioned in all these different jobs. And, you know, Eric Musselman, someone at Nevada who's done a tremendous job there. And certainly he, he would be a great fit, I think, anywhere. And so guys like that who are the, the hot names are, are going to be mentioned for these jobs, not just Vanderbilt, but for Alabama as well and other jobs that come open. Um, it's it really is at this point to see if you're Vanderbilt. I think you go after the biggest names possible and make them tell, you no, uh, before maybe you start going the other route to some of these mid-major coaches that have had a lot of success. Uh, when you look at guys like, you know, like Matt McMahon at Murray State, um, you can look around at other guys as well. Like, let I mean, look at someone like Russell Turner at UC Irvine. They get a big win uh, today in the tournament. John Brennan at Northern Kentucky. There, there's a lot of mid-major coaches. We always know that pool uh, has a lot of guys who are kind of coming up from that, that they are on the rise. Uh, but I think if you're Vanderbilt, you have to kind of go at first at least. You have to, to swing and see who you can get at, at the biggest level. And if they tell you no, then go from there.
0: You know, I completely agree with you, and and that is a really interesting name that you brought up as Nevada's head coach, Eric Muslin. That is a very, very interesting name, and I know we have talked about that much and should be really fun to watch. Now, I do have to ask you, do you think Arkansas is going to let go Mike Anderson, or do you think Mike Anderson is safe right now?
4: I think that's a a tricky situation, too, and, you know, we know here's the the common factor between Vanderbilt and Alabama, and you know this, Mitch, The the biggest thing was, was what? It was that both fan bases were, quite frankly, very upset. They were at a, a kind of a breaking point with their coach, and that sort of just put them both in a scenario where the ADs understood that the, the backlash was there and they didn't feel like it was going to get better and they had to make a move. Now, if you're Arkansas, do you feel like you're in the s- same scenario? And I think there's a contingent of Arkansas fans that would tell you yes. They're there to that point to where they are seeing. Every other team now make these types of moves, and depending on who gets hired at Texas A&M, who gets hired at Vanderbilt, Alabama, and let's put it out there too. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with the LSU situation. There could be several jobs open in the SEC now. We already know there's three. Um, So it's really kind of that chess game between SEC schools now to where – if other people are making moves and maybe you feel like you're going to be in a position a year from now where you're having to at least seriously contemplating making a move, do you make it now? Like, like Alabama's done, like Vanderbilt's done. Uh, and so it is. It's a fascinating situation, uh, especially at Arkansas. We know how much, you know, they're great fans at Arkansas. They love basketball, and, you know, they're not going anywhere. And it's just a matter of are they going to decide uh, with that? I don't know. And that, that's going to be another fascinating one to watch here as we go along.
0: You know, let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the NCAA tournament right now. Switch here from the— uh, <laughs> is, there,
4: is, there, is there a tournament happening? I, that's I mean,
0: what I-, I was wondering. You know, in, in the, <laughs> the first question I'm going to ask you here, though, is how would you rank this NCAA tournament so far? It's really seemed to me as rather just kind of chalk and rather kind of just boring. I mean, it just really hasn't been—you know, last year we had Virginia going down. Last year we had all these upsets on the first and second day. We really just haven't had that yet.
4: Yeah, I think the thing is too, and you mentioned it. I think the upsets we have seen are ones that most people literally called as soon as the bracket came out, um, like Murray State over Marquette. I think everybody was on that because of John Morant. Uh, I'll tell you, as soon as Kansas State, UC Irvine got paired together, I said UC Irvine's going to win that game, even as a thirteen seed. And so, I think that's probably the the biggest factor in this is that you know you haven't had those. Uh, those game winning shots yet. And you haven't sort of had the monumental upsets that that sometimes we're used to because, and I'll say this too, I think it really is a product of, of we're seeing the gap being closed between the, some of these really, really good mid major schools and some of these power conference teams. Like I said, I mean, there there were so many people that were immediately on a Murray State, a UC Irvine bandwagon. And it's not a surprise at all uh, to see them advance in this tournament and, and beat these, you know, upper tier type of teams. So uh, I think it's just one of those things where it, it'll probably get better as we go along. And certainly the Auburn game, I think, has been the most memorable one to this point. Uh, and if you're Auburn, probably for a lot of the wrong reasons. But you still survived in advance. And that's what this tournament's all about uh, at this point. Point. And then, you know, you've had some scares for for teams like Tennessee and Virginia, but they're going to advance, and that's just kind of one of those things here.
0: You know, we've got one more SEC team to play tonight. SEC's done well. They've only lost one game. I know Tennessee struggled a little bit. Uh, Auburn, of course, struggled a little bit. What do you expect to see out of that Mississippi State and Liberty game? Do you expect to see an upset?
4: Yeah, see, and that's another one that, that a lot of people were looking at and saying that could very well be an upset. Um, I have been high on Liberty Going into the season, all season long, I just feel like the style of play, uh, Richie McKay, someone who's at Virginia, worked with Tony Bennett. I I feel like it's sort of a scenario where Mississippi State's size, I just don't think Liberty has seen that type of team. uh, And as athletic as Mississippi State is, if they're able to get out and kind of turn this game into a – a bit of a transition uh, type of matchup. As long as Mississippi State's disciplined, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, We know how efficient a team like Liberty is, and they can certainly make you work on the defensive side. If Mississippi State can stay out of foul trouble, not get impatient, I really do think they're going to be fine in this game. But that is a team that has struggled with those two facets before in terms of sometimes taking bad shots, not always being disciplined in terms of their approach, really on both sides of the court talent's there the potential's there that mississippi state can be a second weekend type of team but as we've seen with some of these others you just have to avoid that first round matchup against a team that has a lot of confidence and really is a very tough from a matchup standpoint to prepare for
0: you know i completely agree with you now let's kind of switch gears a little bit i know kentucky fans are basically on their edge of their seat right now they play a very good wall team without pj washington What do you see in that matchup? Do you think Kentucky loses, or do you think Kentucky's got enough athleticism to get past Wofford?
4: Ooh, it's a scary matchup for Kentucky, and I said that yesterday. Once we found out about the, you know, the P.J. Washington thing, knowing he wasn't going to play, it's a scary matchup. And I'll say that. You've got a team that has all season long been a top-20 caliber type of team, um forget the conference forget that they're in the socon they have proven that they can beat good teams uh we saw what they did against seton hall just the way they play i'm telling you this is a game i would fully expect to go down to the wire either way uh and i know kentucky fans don't want to hear that but we know it's just kentucky's a different team without pj washington and maybe it doesn't show against a team like abilene christian but again this is a top 20 caliber wofford team Uh, that does so many of the little tiny things well they have those intangibles and just think about their confidence and momentum this is their chance to prove on the biggest stage in college basketball that they are not just a SoCon champion they are a legitimate team that has won a ridiculous amount of games in a row now uh it's a scary matchup and if you're Kentucky you look around you're the number two seed um I, I think it's it's the worst matchup you probably could have had given the scenario with PJ Washington out, to be honest with you,
0: you know, looking at a couple of these other sec games, Florida, Michigan, Maryland, and LSU. Does any of these just stick out to you? Like the Kentucky Wofford game where you say it's a bad matchup, Auburn and Kansas, what do you see? What are you expecting to see out of the rest of these uh, sec games?
4: Yeah, and that's the thing is I think it's the exact opposite for all the other SEC teams that have advanced at this point. And I'll start with the one from today, Tennessee and Iowa. I think for Tennessee, even though, you know, you kind of hold off Colgate and play the way they did, it's just getting past that first game. Sometimes that just even if you sneak by, you you feel like you at least kind of you can breathe a little bit. You can relax. You're like, okay, we got that. There's a lot of pressure. Now let's go out and play our game. I feel like that's a good matchup. Probably would have been a tougher matchup to me against the Cincinnati team in Columbus. So LSU, I feel like, really matches up well against Maryland. Uh, You look at Florida. I think Florida, as the 10 seed, got the the best two seed draw they probably could have had against Michigan because it's two defensive teams, low possessions. That's the type of game Florida needs to win. And so it, it sets up really well for them um and Auburn and Kansas uh, I think this is not sort of the Kansas team of years past even though they they just completely obliterated Northeastern uh it's just not the same type of Kansas team And with Auburn's athletes and my goodness with the way Auburn shoots the three and forces turnovers I-, I give Auburn a chance against anybody to be honest with you in this entire tournament I just think they're that good whenever they are playing that well um so I think the SEC has a lot of really good matchups in the second round uh, aside from Kentucky, I just I feel like that Wofford team has that it factor, um, and it's just the PJ Washington thing is so huge to where you don't really know what we're going to get from Kentucky, and I think that that makes it kind of a, a dangerous setup for the Wildcats.
0: You know, speaking of other than Kentucky, do you see all these SEC schools making the Sweet Sixteen, or do you see you know one two out of the SEC schools left who are your uh, in the Sweet Sixteen?
4: Well, I would I would say Tennessee, um, LSU, Auburn uh, are are the best, most likely, and you throw Kentucky in that too. I'm not saying Kentucky's going to lose, but I do think that's a game that's really really tricky uh, for the Wildcats. And and like I mentioned, I, I think it's a couple possession type of game going into the final minute or so. Uh, that just feels like it. That's the kind of game it's going to be florida's matchup even though even though it is uh from a style style standpoint uh pretty favorable you're still going to have michigan as the favorite i think in that game but i do i like the way lsu auburn tennessee i like all their setups uh, if mississippi state were to advance uh, likely going to play virginia tech i don't know that that's a great matchup for mississippi state uh, with virginia tech getting justin robinson back and all that so those three teams feel really good about Kentucky. Uh, if they can get past that without P.J. Washington, you've really got to feel good about them going forward. Uh, so it is, it's a good setup for the SEC, and I think they're going to be fine.
0: Let's, uh, I'm going to have one more question for you before we get off here. I'm sure we'll talk next week, previewing a little bit of the Sweet 16 matchup, hopefully with three, four of these SEC schools advancing. What is one matchup, maybe a Murray State, Florida State, that is not an SEC that you're really looking forward to watching?
4: Yeah, I think that's that's certainly one um, because it's a situation where Florida State didn't play great in that first game, and uh, you know it's one of those deals where with John Morant you just you're not going to count out Murray State, and we talked about Matt McMahon earlier. He's someone that should certainly he'll he'll get plenty of attention, um, and I don't think it's just because of the fact that they've you know won games. He's a really good guy when it comes to developing talent. And that's something that can be very appealing uh, for a lot of these power conference type of schools. So, yeah, that that's certainly probably right there near the top uh, in terms of these matchups. And it's just – I mean, Auburn and Kansas, too, to, to me, is probably a very exciting one. It's the late-night game. you got two teams that can really score. Uh, that, that one's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But, you know, to go back to it, I really think the most – fascinating second round matchup to this point may very well be kentucky and wofford just because of the setup like we mentioned
0: you know mr blake Lovell, i greatly appreciate you coming on the show man you great friend of mine uh founder of Southeasthoops.com. tell everybody where they can find your work you're all over college basketball but especially within the sec tell them where they can find you on twitter and find your work
4: Yeah, southeasthoops.com, that's all the SEC stuff. And then the uh, Marching to Madness podcast, which is the national podcast I do, where we uh, talk about all things throughout college basketball, interview coaches from all around the country, and on Twitter at the Blake level.
0: Man, thank you so much, Mr. Blake. I greatly appreciate it. Enjoy your basketball watching, and I'll talk to you next week, man. All
4: right, appreciate it, man.